Welcome to FranPath Consulting Podcast. I'm Sam Schweitzer. And I'm Brittany Bodie. And we are FranPath Consulting. Hey, Sam. How are hey, you today? Great. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I feel like I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off, just getting ready for the holidays. I don't know about you, but I never feel like I'm ready. Well, I, I mean, I think I'm hosting this year. When I say I think, I know I am, but I'm. I have nothing purchased. I have nothing cleaned, and we're probably going to end up with Chinese food at my house. <laughs> so, I think sometimes it's about the memories, though. So it's all right. That's exactly how I feel. My my kids are always more impressed with the things that. I thought were horrible memories or that didn't go well. So like the time I put a bunch of confetti in an Amazon box and let them just unwrap it. <laughs> so <laughs> That's so great. That's great. So, yeah. The holidays bring up, I think, a lot of feelings for people, um, specifically surrounding family. Um, and I, I think the interesting thing is just the different dynamics as we speak to clients that they're heading into. I think a lot of people feel the same way we do. Like there's a lot going on. There is. I know we're jumping on a plane for Thanksgiving, which is going to be here any second now. Um, and there's a lot to think about in terms of dynamics with families. And you know, when you're around the holiday table and you're starting to talk about being an entrepreneur, business ownership, I think that becomes a challenging discussion around the holiday table. Oh, absolutely. Just based on people's life experiences, right? And, you know, my dad always says something. He says, opinions are like, and I'm going to say bleep because this is a clean <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Everybody has one and they always stink. So <laughs> I, I think that that is definitely the case when it comes to people's opinions on what you should be buying as far as a business goes, if you should be buying a business, period. And what I've found, and not even just in business, just in general, but it applies to business too, sometimes people have a lot of opinions on things that they don't know anything about. And it's really just driven by fear, fear of the unknown. And so as we talk to our clients through the holiday season, especially, I think we both always encourage them to, you know, keep that fear in check. It's great to talk about your next big thing with your friends, your family, but keep in mind that, you know, you're the one doing the the groundwork, the heavy lifting, researching the brands, making sure they meet all of the qualifications of, of really what you're looking for. Absolutely. And I I think the other thing is really consider the source. I mean, I look at people in my life that are most critical of business ownership to us, and not one of them has ever owned a business. So I think you've you've hit the nail on the head with fear and and how it causes people to act, which is kind of a perfect segue, family dynamics, behaviors into the people that we have today. Absolutely. I am very excited to bring in our guest today. They are a really talented group of people, just good people too. Sam and I love to surround ourselves with good people. And so today we're excited to introduce on our podcast, we have Chris Pash, who is the president and co-founder of Ellie Mental Health. 
And we also have Rachel Stender, who is the Vice President of Franchise Development at Repham Group. So welcome to our podcast. Hey, thanks. Brittany. Thank thanks, you. Sam. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, thank you guys so much. We're very excited to have you today. And we're excited really for you to share a little bit with the folks listening about Ellie Mental Health. So, you know, before we uh, dive into Ellie, I'd love to just explain. I, I mentioned two groups here, right? Ellie Mental Health, Repham Group. Explain that dynamic a little bit, if you would, on what is Repham Group, Rachel, and how are you working with Ellie Mental Health? No, it, it's a great question. Um, Repham Group, our forte is really to provide all-inclusive support to emerging brands and, and to other brands that we would work with. Um, so when you think about it, you can definitely grow a franchise through franchise development. But what happens when you do bring on a lot of franchisees and how do you scale your infrastructure to support that? And then what happens if they do need to find a location and they've never done that before? So the great thing about Repham is that we are partnered for strategic franchise growth. Um, so we do help the franchise development process. We also help in real estate and construction management. Um, so once they are franchisees, it's a seamless transition for them to work with the build team to really operate on an on-time, on-budget schedule. And then in, in conjunction with all of that, our Scalum team is really focused on operational support. So what does the infrastructure for LE look like as it supports more and more franchisees? That's a wow, because that's not the standard in franchising. Uh, no. And the experience level of your team is also phenomenal. You guys just have so many great people backing that group. We do. It's a, a multi-person effort when we work with brands. So it's not just a few people that you might see sometimes on the outside. It, it's a whole team of people behind the scenes. I love that you're really invested in the brands that you partner with. So tell us a little bit about how you became partners with Ellie Mental Health. And then I'd love to kind of dive in from there and have Chris explain what is Ellie? Absolutely. Um, so the beginning of Ellie and Repham started with a meeting with one of our co-founders a couple years ago um, in conversation talking about franchising. And then, of course, um, staying in contact, working through the pandemic and not quite launching till after. Um, Ellie is a very new franchise um, as of June of this year. Um, so coming back to that conversation, um, working with the Repham group, to really start to put together what makes sense for our operating procedures, for what we need to prepare to be a franchise, and then ultimately launch it appropriately. Um, so I think the key is you don't just decide to franchise and start finding people the next day. You definitely have to be ready to do that. Um, and Ellie put the work in with Repham to really focus in on what do we need to do to be prepared for an influx of franchisees both now and then 12 months from now. Again, very impressive for you guys. And Chris, if you don't mind, I would love to just dig into what is Ellie Mental Health? Kind of give us the background of this brand as a founder. Would love to hear your story. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and I'm, I'll try to weave in the Repum pieces too, because the relationship with Nick spans, I think, almost four years. So it's, it's, it's really part of the Ellie story too. Um, so Ellie started in 2015. Uh, by Aaron and Kyle, the two clinicians, right? Aaron's a licensed marriage family therapist and Kyle's a social worker. Uh, they graduated with their master's degree and they thought they're going to save the world um, in government work, 
right? They went to go work at a county government center as social workers with the idea of helping people and solving a bunch of problems and quickly realized that the bureaucracy and just the, the stiffness of that culture didn't allow them to do what they wanted to do. Um, so they left, right? They're, they're young millennial people. It said like, F this, I don't want to deal with all of this. I can't do the things I want to do. I want to go start my own thing. Right. And the, and the intent of Ellie was really just to give those two people a great place to work. That was all they wanted to. They didn't want to be bound by uh, red tape or told no for anything. So they, they started Ellie. Uh, we rented an office in St. Paul, three offices. Uh, they convinced one of their friends to come join them. And th they just want to be creative and solve problems and fill gaps that existed. Right. Um, and the goal was really to just see 30 or 40 clients a week, make their money and go home and spend time with their family and do whatever. Um, but in this industry, in this healthcare industry, word of mouth is something that's really, really special and really, really powerful. So as I started to see clients and change clients' lives or have great experiences, they started to get more and more referrals. And the people they recruited to work for them love the pay model, love the experience. They started to tell their friends. So very quickly on both ends of the spectrum, you're getting more clients and then you're getting more people on to work at Alley. And we, within six months, knocked the wall down of our three office um, office and added six more offices, went from three to nine within six months. And then just steamrolled from there, right? So you look at our timeline, but we went from three offices to now we have 16 locations that are corporately owned, uh, over 300 employees, and are sitting here talking about taking Ali um, nationally, right? So it's been a very cool journey for us uh, with no intention of ever doing this, right? I think if you talk to Aaron or talk to Kyle, we kind of feel like we have imposter syndrome, right? Like we never believed that this is be where we were, right? Like we always we always knew that we had something special. Uh, we liked what we were doing, and we didn't think it would ever resonate on this level. But that's that's how we got here, right? And then somewhere along 2015 or 16 or 2017, um, I reached out to Trent Halverson, who I know from a previous work life, and said, "Hey, man, like we want to grow Ellie bigger than what we have, and." We don't know how to do it, but I think franchising is kind of maybe a thing we could do, right? Uh, and he's like, oh, cool. The thing you had, you guys had to Nick, Nick Sheehan. Nick she, Nick's the guy you got to talk to. So you got to call Nick. So I called Nick in 2017 and said, hey, man, I think, you know, whatever, we want to do this. So he came out, um, spent some time with us, and we went really far down the path of franchising in 2017 or 2018, early. Um, and then something happened um, with Nick and what he was doing, and it really caused us to pause and just say, hey, like, Maybe this is a sign that we're not ready to do this yet, right? Like it was nothing that said we weren't ready, but we just took it as a sign to say, hey, maybe we're not quite ready yet. Let's slow ourselves down and spend time making sure we really have our stuff together, right? So from 2018, through the pandemic, we really spent time trying to focus on our operations, right? Like Ellie's really strong culturally, but it's hard to explain culture to people that want to invest in the business, right? I, I don't believe, and I say all the time that, I can't convince someone to buy an alley because the culture is cool, right? We had to spend the last couple of years documenting the things that made Ellie special, documenting the things in our pay model, in our processes that made us great. So we could transfer that from Ellie to someone in Texas or some other state, right? So we spent a lot of time doing that work, um, a lot of time building out the economics of our model, right? Um, 2017, we had three locations, right? So we knew we had something special, we weren't quite at scale yet. So we're able to grow our business substantially over those three years and really make sure that the economics played out, the model worked, um, all those things kind of played together. Um, and then so when we got to 2020, whatever it was, um, we thought we were ready, right? Like, hey, now we're ready again. 
um, let's call Nick again and see where he's at. And Nick happened to be with started Repum Group with Rob, and and here we are, right? And again, I, I think great to set up. But I feel really, really lucky that we're with Repum. Um, there's a lot of places we could have gone, I guess. Um, but Rob and Nick have been amazing um, for all the things they they do for us, right? Like we believe really strongly that we need people that are passionate about mental health to want to do this, right? As an investor, as a franchisee. Uh, and we ask for people's story and we ask them their connection to mental health. And I think that's really important that Rachel and Jen and Kelly have a connection too, right? Like Rob and Nick could have given us anybody today. I want all these, any of these people to, to sell Ellie's, but really if you talk to Jen or talk to Rachel or to Kelly, they have a story that connects or resonates in mental health, right? So it, it helps us pull the story all the way through that, it's more than just an investment opportunity. It's something that's really about doing good or making something better. That's something you care about. And so for them to like you know, align the stars that way for us, been really special. So that's where I guess where we are. And, and here we are talking to you, right? Yes. What an incredible story. And the thing that I love is you've really taken the time to make sure that you've got all the ducks in a row to support franchisees and bring on the right type of franchisees. So I want to start with, you know, what would you say is kind of drawing candidates into Ellie? I know, Rachel, talking with you, talking with your counterpart, Jen, at conferences, it's about having that everybody has that connection to mental health and that pulls at your heartstrings. But what else about the brand is really drawing your candidates in? Yeah, I mean, you hit it on a T. I think the first thing is that there is that connection to mental health. Um, I've had people start to get teary-eyed on calls, you know, and we see it at, you know, when we, when they come to Minnesota to meet the team. And um, so there is a deep connection and then they understand the need is there. I think the draw then is, you know, why Ellie? And, and Ellie is a multitude of things. It's the fact that you do have this amazing team that's willing to pretty much give you everything to help you run your business and be successful to promote more mental health services in your community and to help you do that. And it's it's being able to go through the process and really hear from people, um, speak with them, get resources, get, it's a very translucent environment. Um, we're not hiding things from them. So it's, it's that piece that connects them with it, but then understanding that, wow, I can have a mental health business, but I don't need to know credentialing or collections. I don't, I don't need to do the hard stuff because Ellie's the expert and Ellie is going to take care of me and let me and my team really focus on providing great patient care in our communities. And, and that's really the clincher is the fact that they can make a difference, have a great business and, and really leave the hard stuff to the experts. Yeah, and I think another thing, um, I said it earlier, but I use the word fill the gap, and that's something we care really mm -hmm. uh, deeply about, and it's something that's important to us. And I think when you talk to people, everyone has an example or a connection to either personally or tangentially that someone has had a problem either having access to services or getting quality service, right? So we try to focus on is helping get access to quality services, right? Kind of put those two things together. So it's really important for us to do that. And then secondarily, our brand is something that we care a lot about. We spend a lot of time working on the logo and the look and feel of the clinics and, and the way we do things uh, because we're trying to reduce the stigma of mental health and access to therapy, right? Um, I see a therapist, uh, but I couldn't tell you where they work, right? Like I don't I don't wear their shirt, right? I'm wearing a, an Ellie shirt today, 
right? Like we have people that wear our stuff. We have gear, people resonate with the brand. And that's something that helps kind of bring it to the front and center and not have it be something that we don't talk about or like talk about with our close family and friends or, or really quietly anymore. Um, so I think those two things uh, help people be connected to it, right? And I do think there's also people that just want to do good. And I think that's something they've talked about the candidates have come to discovery day or decision day. They've been really, they just want to do good. And that makes us feel really happy too. Mm -hmm. I love that, removing the yeah. stigma. And I also go to therapy and I think it's a pretty powerful thing to be able to, to be involved in and periodically throughout life, sometimes you don't need it and then sometimes you need it again. So I do think people can really resonate with that. It certainly hits home for me. But for you guys, it, the number one thing we hear from clients right now are, that sounds great. I absolutely love it. How are you convincing these clinicians? How are you getting this staff? What sets you apart from them opening up their own, you know, single suite somewhere? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that's that's something we try to overcome all the time. Um, and really, the industry is kind of broken into two ends of the spectrum, right? There's there's private practice, right, where you kind of do it on your own. And there's large health systems, right? And there's there's benefits of both, right? Like I, I I think people can do both really well. I think what Ellie's trying to do is kind of find that sweet spot in the middle that takes really all the good stuff from one and the good stuff of the other and kind of smashes them together, right? So in a private practice model, um, you have the freedom and autonomy to schedule what you want when you want, right? Really smart, really beneficial thing. However, the flip of that is you're then responsible for all the administrative stuff. You're finding referrals you're doing the scheduling, you're doing the billing, you're following up on credentialing, you're chasing claims that they were to get denied by the insurance company, and all these things, documenting that stuff, that starts to eat into your time, right? So really what you're doing is almost a one-to-one -one ratio of an hour client session to an hour of administrative work. And so it gets to be really, really difficult. And you think about people that get into the business of helping people to help people, they don't get in business to, to be a business owner in a lot of cases. So if you're someone that went to school to help people and you have a master's degree or a doctorate degree and you're those things and you're running a business, you really want to take care of clients and now you're doing business stuff and you can't do both really, really well, right? You just can't. You can't divide your attention 100% two ways. So they have to choose one, one thing or the other. And some people choose to be really good at business and they offer a lower quality of care potentially, or they finish choose to focus on clinical care and they let go of the business a little bit and they struggle, right? So that's the difficult part of being a private practice owner. A lot of flexibility, a lot of autonomy, but some operational challenges. The far flip of that is the health system where you don't have, you have none of that stuff to deal with. People get put on your schedule for you. You work consistently. You don't do any of that other stuff, but you don't have any control of who you see. No flexibility, no autonomy in your schedule, right? So you might see 36 clients a week, 36 client hours, and you don't have any control over how many that is, first of all, and be the kind of people that you see. You might have gone to school to see, or you specialize in or really passionate about kids or teens or something, and the people you see might not be any of that, right? So you kind of get stuck in this really kind of wheel of clients and patients, which I think impacts client care, right? Because the clinician is really overwhelmed with the, the caseload potentially, or they're not passionate about the service or the 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 diagnosis or the modality they're, they're working on. So that becomes difficult too, right? And the compensation wise, it's mostly a salary, but it's flat. You get what you get and right, my, my daycare provider, you throw, get what you get, you don't throw a fit, right? That's what my daycare provider used to say to us. Uh, but uh, that's kind of what they get, right? No matter what they do. Um, so at LA, we try to do a couple of things in the middle. One, we give our clinicians autonomy to control their schedule. 
right? They can choose when they want to work. As long as they meet their minimum hours in a week, they can work four days a week, or they can work four 10 hour days, or they can spread it out however they want to. Uh, and we take care of all the administrative stuff for them, right? And then on the other side, uh, we have something called the LE Match tool, which I think is really special. It really is designed to help match our clients and clinicians together in a way that best suits what they're both looking for, right? So when someone calls in to schedule an appointment with Ellie, we have an access team that, that takes the call and they ask a bunch of questions about um, what they want to be seen for, some of their interests or passions or hobbies. And then we have the same thing on the backside. So our clinicians have built the exact same information, right? And so we say, oh, hey, based on all these things, looks like Brittany is the best person for you. She's available next Tuesday at four o'clock, right? So it does a couple of things. One, it allows the person to leave scheduled, right? Because I think when someone has the courage to reach out for help, if they don't get it right away, they're not going to keep chasing it, right? Mm -hmm. Like it took something to make them want to call finally. And if they leave a message, wait for a call back, by the time they get called back, they maybe lost that courage or the appointment six weeks out, maybe lost that courage from when I had it to when I have to go see it, right? So we leave them schedule after their first call with someone that, should be the right person for them, right? So when they go, they have the experience, they continue to go, which helps make them uh, improve improve their life or whatever their situation is. But the clinician side allows them to kind of control who they wanna see, right? So if we have someone that is really passionate about uh, death and dying, for example, they can go in their match tool and say, hey, I'm really interested in this thing. Here's my openings and here's what I like to take. And I start to fill that up, right? And remember what I said about the, the system where you don't get to control you see, and you might get a bunch of one thing, death and dying feels like a really heavy topic, right? And if you had 25 people in your caseload that had death and dying, that might be overwhelming, right? So we have a lot of clinicians that go in and say, hey, you know what, I'm I'm full of that. Like, I don't wanna do that anymore. I need some new patients, I'll take some, some referrals, but I wanna do teens or kids or this, right? So they kind of control um, what they wanna see and who they wanna see to make sure they stay healthy, right? Because the experience is, as important to them as for the patient, right? Like we need them to be like happy with what they're doing, engage in what they're doing uh, so they can give a good experience to the clients. So those are some of the things that make us different for sure. And then there's some nuances in the pay model that we have. Like we have a, a commission structure that rewards people for doing more work. Like there's uncapped earning potential, those kinds of things. So recruiting clinicians has not been a challenge for us um, in Minnesota as we've looked outside as we started to do this at all. Great. And, you know, when you're thinking about the centers and we're thinking about our clients, you know, our clients primarily are executives looking for semi-absentee to maybe even passive opportunities. So, Rachel, could that fit? Are you, Or are you looking for a therapist that's going to buy this business? Mm -hmm. Like, who is the profile of who's going to buy an LA Mental Health? Mm -hmm. No, it's a great question. Um, to be honest, we haven't had therapists really come through the pipeline too much. You know, it's people that have a very personal tie and story to mental health in some way, shape or form. Um, not to say that we wouldn't. Um, if there was a licensed therapist that has a great background and a good business acumen, um, we're all in. Um, and you know what, they'll get it. You know, they're going to be just going through the points of everything that we do do. Um, and it makes sense. Um, with people that don't have that background, it, it, it's really having a story. What is their mental health story? Because it's really important that as they grow Ellie in their community, we're talking about them. We're talking about the whys that they're bringing it to their community and that there's a personal passion for doing so. Um, and then it's looking at how do you, you align with 
Ellie's values? You know, how are you going to collaborate and work with the team? Um, and then what is your business experience that you have to be able to apply to growing your Ellie? Um, so really it's those two key things that we're looking at. And what about the role? What's the role of the franchisee? If they don't have that mm -hmm. type of background, what does a day in the life look like for a franchisee mm -hmm. with Ellie? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I, I get that a lot because it comes down to the fact that if they're not a licensed therapist, they're obviously not taking patients. Um, but we need patients for the business to thrive. So it's really being able to utilize systems processes to understand what is happening with their business. Um, they will learn everything the clinic director and clinicians are being trained on. Um, so they need to evaluate the business, evaluate metrics and KPIs, work with the clinic director to really strategically look at where the business currently is and, and what can you do to continue to grow it, provide a great patient experience, but also provide a very wonderful work environment too. Um, so it's it's strategy. And then as much as they would like to, it's getting out into the community. So being a brand ambassador, you know, we talk about reducing the stigma. Um, you know, you have to talk about mental health to reduce the stigma. Um, so being able to really support Ellie in the community, talk about it, you know, find new ways to just be engaged um, and connect with more people. And, you know, in some ways, they may be very involved on community outreach, and in others, they'll have personal projects that they really target. Yeah, and I think this is an important one for me, um, mm -hmm. for a couple reasons. One, um, I we don't want someone that's solely interested in making money, right? And so for me, I don't mind passive. I don't mind semi-absentee. Those things aren't, aren't deal breakers for me. But if someone are, is more interested in the bottom line and operating income than serving patients, then we're not interested, right? Like we've never ever once worried about the bottom line. If you talk to Aaron, you'd uh, quickly learn that we didn't really manage a P&L like the first three years we existed, right? We just kind of did what we thought was right. <laughs> and it actually ended up working out really well, right? So it kind of reinforced the belief that you take care of clients, take care of employees, the bottom line takes care of itself. And so we really just don't want someone that just interested in that, right? Like I want a story and a connection and belief in the fact that if you do the right thing, good things will happen financially, right? Like those things are important. Like making money is important, right? We're definitely a for-profit business, but it can't be the first thing, right? So um, really important that delineate uh, passive from being engaged in the business, right? Because they do need to be, and a, like a brand evangelist, essentially, right? Like we do want them to go out and be the brand, right? We encourage and are really excited to have people open the clinic where they live because they're connecting their community some way, shape or form, whether it be PTA or something in the neighborhood or whatever that looks like. Uh, and when we first started talking about growing Ellie nationally, we talked about a couple different things, including just doing it on our own. Like, let's just go, right? And then Aaron sat down, she's like, well, hey, that's not how Ellie is successful here, right? Like. I don't know anything about Austin, Texas. I don't know anything about Denver, Colorado. How naive would it be even to believe that I could go and open an alley there and do a good job, as good of a job as I could do here because I know stuff about the community, right? So the concept of bringing people that are passionate about the community with the resources to do it in our system really is the best way to do it. So um, it's important that people can be passive or semi-absentee, but still engage in their community and really evangelize the concept of uh, destigmatizing destigmatizing mental health and evangelizing Ellie. I love that that's a brand standard, and I love that you're mm -hmm. standing by it. And a lot of people will compromise things to grow in a quicker capacity. So mm -hmm. that's that's outstanding to hear. 
Is there any franchisee that you've signed so far that you're working with that had a story that you guys would be willing to share with us just to to kind of help our audience that's listening understand the type of person that really you're attracted to and that will be successful in this business? Yeah, there's really <clears throat> there's really two people mm-hmm. that that we signed that might tell you a story about everybody. Um, but our first franchisee um, in Indianapolis or Noblesville, Indiana, um, their story was was not like a dramatic or traumatic story, but it really resonated with with me and it made us all emotional when she shared at Discovery Day. Or our first day, we asked everybody, it was a smaller group at that time, so we could have them share their story in front of the group and, and she did a great job. But it was really an experience she had trying to find access to care for her daughter, right? And calling around and calling around and calling around and having no ability to get somebody in, right? And it was very, very frustrating for her in a time where she needed help for her daughter. And it was just a like a deal breaker. Like she just couldn't take care of her daughter the way she needed to. And so when this came up, she was super excited and passionate about it. But that was the the precipice about the like the beginning of it, right? It was hey, I can't find access to quality care, access to care at all. And if I can solve that for somebody else, then I'm super interested in it. Right. I love that. And I think, you know, that brings up another good point to me. Um you know, COVID, I think, made it even harder to get into any type of appointment, including mental health. How was it for you guys during COVID? What did you do in the business model to be able to still take care of your clients? Yeah, COVID was a scary time. Uh, we had just just bought and moved into our corporate office. Um, we had literally been there like two weeks when we had to shut everything down for COVID. Um, so we quickly transitioned to telehealth, right? I mean, we were very... We had already done some telehealth and our negotiated contracts with insurance companies to do virtual therapy, but it wasn't commonplace at all. Uh, and during COVID, we were a 100% um, virtual therapy for almost 12 months. We couldn't really open our clinics in Minnesota uh, for a long time just due to um, to our state's regulations. Um, but we were able to actually do things really, really well. Our business grew. I would say it's bittersweet, right? Like I, I'm happy that our business grew. And also happy people got help, but also a little bit saddened that people, more people needed help, right? So it's a really a bitters, bittersweet feeling for me. But our business grew exponentially in the model because we could do a couple things. One, we could have a lot more people see patients, right? We, before we were kind of limited by office space. I can only see so many people and have so many people working at one time. And we also had cancels and no-shows, right? It snows in Minnesota. People don't want to drive in the snow. People get sick. People don't want to come. They People forget. Um, so it's, virtual therapy really allowed us to solve that problem because we could just say, hey, no problem. You just hop on virtually and and you're, can't, you're not going to cancel, right? So cancel rates went down dramatically. Attendance rates, first rate appointments went up went up tremendously too. And then we could see more people, right? So it really helped us kind of sharpen the model of when we did open back up, um, we're still, we still do virtual therapy, but we also have in person now. So now we can almost overstaff our clinics um, headcount wise to provide access to people Right, which also allow people more people to be seen, which would allow more revenue to be to be generated. Um, but it was really helpful to us to kind of like firm up the way the model exists today, uh, in a time when it was really scary. Some people um, thought we may, might not be able to survive the pandemic. Right, it turns out we opened four locations during the pandemic and continued to grow um, based on what we learned from from that time. So you guys see telehealth staying as a major part of this business moving forward? Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't think we'll ever have 100% virtual people, right? There is a lot of research that would suggest that the therapeutic alliance is really important, 
right? Um, so meeting someone face to face is super important to, to the healing process. But from there, after the first couple of sessions, there's no reason you couldn't do some work virtually, right? Um, just like meeting people on Zoom or talking to you all, right? Like you all seem like great people. I happen to know you, so I know this for a fact. <laughs> you meet people, you meet some people on Zoom, and and you don't really understand who they are until so you meet them in person. You're like, oh, that's not who I thought you were, right? Um, so the same thing is just in therapy. So that therapeutic alliance is really, really important to us, uh, and why we'll, we'll never have people just be 100% virtual. I love that. I think that that's interesting, and it's interesting to know that you guys have already researched that just as a part of what you do, and. I've just been so impressed during the conversation with both of you, with the passion, with all of the things that you thought through, the planning, really what's taken you to this phase. And if you wouldn't mind just explaining about where is Ellie today, because we know you guys are very busy. It turns out there are a lot of people that are interested in this. So where does Ellie stand right now? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about mm -hmm. it. And then Rachel probably gave like more of the details, yeah. right? So um, we just uh, earlier this week signed our seventh uh, franchisee. We have a call after this for another one and one more tomorrow. Um, and so I think the unit count is is 21 um, as of today, mm -hmm. with more coming, yeah. right? And we've yeah. had um, uh, three four discovery days, and those numbers went like four, five. 17 and then two weeks later we had 10 more and we'll probably have 17 or more again in december so it's mm -hmm. it's really a humbling and kind of scary thing right like we're ready for it right like we we built the business ellie could support franchisees today based on the way we've staffed our operations team the things that we've done but it's still kind of a scary thing right like uh it's exciting scary but it's still scary um and very humbling like i told you kind of imposter syndrome sometimes but it's been it's been cool to see the level of interest and cool to see the candidates, right? I know Rachel and Jen and, and Kelly do a really good job of making sure we see the right people, but there has not been anyone that I haven't been impressed with or that I didn't feel had a connection or story, right? Like there's everyone that's come has been a qualified person that we'd be happy to talk to open and Elliot with for sure. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, it is definitely a concept that we are very excited about. We know that our clients will love it too. It just checks the boxes. It's a feel-good mm -hmm. concept. It's backed by an incredible team that has great support in place. So we're really excited um, to be able to share this podcast. And we want to thank both of you for your time today. Oh my gosh! Thank, thank you, you so much. Yeah, I've never, I, I've never thought I'd be on a podcast talking about Ellie. Right? So this is just very cool stuff. Like, there's a lot of yeah. firsts for us, and a lot of stuff's very cool. Yeah. And so, thank you very much for inviting us. I really do appreciate it. Well, yeah, I'll just I give you my rating you know. five stars. You guys killed it. <laughs> so. yes. Well, we had fun yes. too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We'll, we thank enjoyed it. Thank you so, so much. much. Thank you guys. They are so great, aren't they, Sam? Just I know love how much you know they want the right people on the bus people that really care about their community and that's refreshing because to put growth in the back seat and really make sure that you have the right people in the driver's seat unfortunately that's not always what we see so just really exciting and i think it speaks volumes to what's going on right now with people feeling the need to destigmatize mental health care. I can't believe I admitted I saw a therapist on, the, <laughs> on here. Listen, you're following their right lead. I love it. No, it's an important, you know, topic to talk about. And 
something that's always stuck with me that my dad said was, you know, do what you love, do well by others and the money will follow. And I just think that that lines up with what they're doing. And I know we're excited to continue to work with the team. Absolutely. So with that, you guys have an amazing week. If you're excited to learn more about Ellie, please email us at info at franpathconsulting.com. Follow at the Fran Path Consulting Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Podbean. Don't forget to rate us five stars only, please. You can find us on Instagram at Fran Path, Facebook at Fran Path Consulting, LinkedIn at Fran Path Consulting, or go to our website, franpathconsulting.com, to take your free business assessment and find out if Ellie or any of the other businesses that we represent are right for you. Have an amazing Thanksgiving.